Let us go to God and ask him to help us to understand his word. Shall we pray together? Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the gift especially of your Son, that in him we see you, your grace, your truth. We ask, Father, that we might be those who live in that truth and that we might walk in that truth. And we ask these things in his name. Amen. What gives uh, parents joy in their children? Uh, For me, I remember it was when my son scored his first soccer goal in the under six team. I was right there, I could see it. He dribbled past the defence and then hit the shot, curled around the goalkeeper and in the goal. And I went, yes! And I didn't realise that I had such a good view of it because I was the referee. (laughs) Oh, no, 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 no. What gives parents joy in their children? Uh, it's when they do well in music, in academics, when they get the A's, isn't it? There's a story of an uh, Asian uh, mum hearing her little daughter come up with her to her and say, Mum, I, I, got, a, I got a B. And the mum goes, What? You got a B? How can you get a B? You're not decent, you're Asian. <laughs> we all take joy and pride when our children have success, isn't it? Top of the class, getting to the good school, the good university, the good career, the good company. Now, the great joy and pride when you can tell your sisters, when you can tell your nephews, when you can tell your family, I know my my son is working for KPMG and he's going to head up a team over in, in Dubai. Yes, I won't see him for a long time, but hey, there's great joy, isn't it? Working for the great company. Now, those of us who are not parents, uh, we understand this giving parents their joy as well because we have been children, isn't it? And we know what it is that would give them that joy. Uh, Some parents, of course, uh, find joy in the actual relationship with their children. That's a sort of novel idea. Reciprocated love, concern for them, sharing tears as well as the joys and laughs, guidance given and received. What ought to give parents joy? Well, look at verse 4. Here, the Apostle John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. What is this walking in the truth? Why does John talk about his children? In what sense are they his children? Well, point two, joy in the truth. And 2a, who is this writer? Who is this apostle? It's probably the apostle John. You see he speaks of himself in verse 1 as the elder. It's probably the apostle John because he doesn't have to spell out a bit more who he is. He just says the elder. Everyone knows who he is. You know, it's like when you ring up, uh, you know, your family member or good friends. Hey, it's me. No, you don't just say who you are. Just it's me. Then everyone knows. He just says the elder. They all know that it's the apostle John. He's someone who has authority. And you so you see there in uh, verse nine and verse twelve. Verse nine and twelve. He talks about some people not listening to us. 
and people spreading malicious nonsense about us. Uh, the us there is John as an apostle with the other apostles. He has an authority. He's one who sends a letter to them that ought to be listened to. And so you see in verse, uh, um, verse uh, where is it? Uh, verse 9, he had written to the church, but someone had um, refused that letter. John is this apostle. I think especially uh, it's John because he writes very similarly to uh, the, uh, the uh, Gospel of John. You see there um, at the end of um, uh, this letter, uh, he talks about uh, speaking with them, writing to him. Uh, I have much to write to you, verse 13, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. We'll talk face to face. John has this close relationship to this person he is writing to. And he writes as someone who speaks the truth. And so you see at the end in verse 12, in verse 12, uh, we've spoken of this uh, other person and look, guess what? Our, our testimony is true. That little phrase, our testimony is true, uh, is taken up in John's Gospel. Coming up on the screen, you see that uh, at the end of John's Gospel, uh, he says, look, this is the disciple who uh, wrote about these things and we know that his testimony is true. Uh, he's the Apostle John, writing John's Gospel, writing this letter of three John. He's the Apostle, he's the one with authority, he's the one who's writing as the Elder. He doesn't call himself an Apostle, just an Elder. Elder because he's older, but also Elder because he's, he's like the pastor. He's the one who's the spiritual Elder of his children. They're not his real children, they're his spiritual children. My children, I have no greater joy than to see my children walking in the truth. Uh, it could be someone like Pastor Andrew. You know, in some sense, you are his spiritual children. Uh, it could be like the elders in this church. Uh, it could be like someone, one of some of you as a, as a Bible study group leader. As you lead this group for in a year, two years, uh, your group members are still like your spiritual children. It could be as you lead Sunday school. Uh, you've seen them from when you're young and they are your spiritual children. It could even, of course, be your family, isn't it? As you seek to help them grow to be loving Jesus and to be like Jesus. The Apostle writing to his spiritual children, but in particular, spiritual child. Who is it? Well, verse 1, to my dear friend Gaius. It's a particular letter. It's not like a 1 John or 2 John, which is written to the whole church. It's written to a particular person, Gaius. He's one of those who are walking according to the truth. Verse 3, gave me great joy when some believers came and tested about your faithfulness to the truth, telling me how you continue to walk in the truth. There's a close relationship between uh, the Apostle John and this Gaius, isn't it? I also already mentioned in verse 13 how he wants to see them, he's much to write to them, and rather he, he rather sees them face to face. Uh, you see in verse 1, he's a dear friend, my dear friend Gaius. Uh, verse 2, dear friend, is a close relationship. Uh, it reminds me a little bit about, you know, I've known uh, Andrew and Cheryl since, uh, not when they're that high, but when they're about that high, and I've known them before they became Christians. Uh, I remember the time when um, you know, Cheryl first started lay, laying high eyes on Andrew 
apparently uh, she saw this uh, boy down the front of the lecture theatre and said, oh, that's a cute looking boy, I'm going to get him to drive me home. And she managed to do that and it went on from there. I remember the time when as non-Christians they came along to our church and started finding out about Christianity. Cheryl came along first and asked Andrew along and Andrew thought, oh yeah, now I'm, I'm the churchgoer, I'll go along. And we're good friends now. It, it's, it's, but it's more than just friendship. Even with the elder here and Gaius, it is not just friendship. He calls him a dear friend, but notice in verse 1, whom I love in the truth. It is the gospel message that actually binds them together. He prays for their, uh, his physical health and so verse 2, I pray that you may enjoy good health. But the good health is not the main thing. Of course you want your good friends to be going well physically but it's more than that. In the verse 2, but even as your soul is getting along well, it's their, 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 their soul being well. That is what he really delights in. Because their relationship is more than friendship, it is love in the truth. What is this walking in the truth then? In verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. The truth is the gospel message. In John's gospel, uh, remember Jesus says, there's no way to the Father except through me. Remember when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. It is more than just morality, it is more than just doing good things, it is believing in Jesus. And belief is more than just, oh yeah, tick the box, I, I agree with you know, the apostolic creed or something like that. It's actually us trusting and depending on Jesus depending on him as the truth, the way, the truth and the life that gets you to God and then living out that truth. Someone who would hear the gospel and respond to it rightly. And so as I uh, related to uh, Andrew over the years, uh, it's been because of Christianity. Uh, I remember when he uh, first uh, gave his first talk, um, he practised, practised and then he read it out, you know, very, you know, boringly. He just read it out to me and I said, Andrew, you know, it always really good content but you know, look, you're a smart boy. Look, you know it, just don't read it out word for word, just, just say it and you'll be right. And then when he gave the first talk at, at the church, it was great. Uh, except just before he talked, uh, there's this mouse that got up bef- behind him on the, on the lectern and on the bench and just ran across the room, you know? Yeah, it's, oh no, Andrew's first talk and a mouth comes running across, so what's he going to do? And then Andrew just said, oh well, yeah, it would happen to me in my first talk, you know, a little mouse comes and listens to me as well and, and he got on with it. It's all in, and I remember when um, we used to stay with them for a few months because uh, we were sort of homeless, uh, having travelled back from America and we're staying with Andrew and Cheryl for a couple of months uh, in Sydney and then uh, one night my wife and I were just, you know, uh, trying to get to bed and then we hear this um, walk stomping outside. Andrew and Cheryl had just come back from a Christian conference and then as they came back we heard this 
boom, 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 boom. And I thought, what is that going down the stairs? Really heavy footsteps. We didn't know what it was. We didn't bother to get out of bed to find out. But the next morning, I walked downstairs and there's their big TV at the bottom of the stairs. And I thought, what's that about? And then I find out that what they had said in the Christian conference was, everyone, in your first year of marriage, you shouldn't have a TV in your room. And so Andrew had come home, listened to that wisdom, and in the middle of the night, grabbed his TV and boom, 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 all the way down, put it down. See, there's someone who walks in the truth, isn't it? Hears the wisdom of God and then acts upon it. Literally walks, step, step, step. There is walking in the truth to know the gospel and to act according to it. John says, I have no greater joy than to see that my children are walking in the truth. What did it mean for for Gaius to walk in the truth? Well, in particular, he spells it out. He's been faithful, verse 5, in what he has been doing for the brothers and sisters. Uh, The word doing there, in the original, it's a combination of words which stress effort. It's not just doing something easy, it's something, something that requires strenuous um, commitment, persistence, patience, effort. He's been welcoming strangers, you see in verse 5. Verse 6, they've told the church about your love. How he, Gaius, accepts people into his house, even strangers, and then sends them on their way in verse 6, in a way that is honouring to God. That is, Gaius is someone who has been hospitable to Christians, even those that he doesn't know. It's taken effort to be hospitable like that. Uh, I'm staying with Andrew and Cheryl now. Uh, Actually, there's a couple of times I've stayed with him. I'm always staying with him, you know. And um, I remember a couple of, long time ago, when they used to have a flat here and we stayed with him for a little while, and um, it was, I thought it was a great time, you know, I can turn on the air conditioning and, you know, but apparently I'm not meant to leave the air conditioning on all day, but anyway, anyway, at the end, you know, we, we got together and then the four of us, uh, them and my wife and I prayed and, you know, how, you know, usually you pray, you know, thank you God that, you know, we had these friends over and etc. But you know how Andrew's pretty straightforward. So in his prayers is, uh, dear God, thank you that you know, Josh and Karen can come and and we know that it's been hard, but thank you for giving me patience with them. And <laughs> well, okay, well, you know, this is, you see, sometimes it's hard, right, to be welcoming even friends, let alone strangers. Yet Gaius has been willing to do that. Why? You see, because these strangers, these Christians who have come, have gone out for the sake of the name. You see there? In uh, verse, uh, where is it? Name. You don't find it? My glasses are not good. Verse 7, there it is, yeah. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans, you see. That is, these people coming in are not just Christians, they are missionaries. They are those who have gone out for the name, for the sake of the name of Jesus. And notice when they go out, they don't receive any help from the pagans, from the non-Christians. Right? Yeah, 
They're not those who have wives who can sell CDs you know, to, to the world or anything like that. Um, they're those who do not ask the pagan world for, for money. That is, they give the gospel without charge, which is how we should always preach the gospel, isn't it? For it's a gospel of free grace. And so who are those who should support? It is the Christian people, the Christian brothers and sisters, like Gaius, who gives them material support, helps them along their way, gives them housing, as well as ability to keep going in the work. Notice there in uh, verse 8, we ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such people. That there's an oughtness, there's a responsibility for us as Christians to be showing hospitality, especially to missionaries. There's a responsibility, but notice at the end of verse 8, there's a great privilege as well, isn't it? Work together for the truth. Fellow workers, that's what we become. We support the missionaries financially, etc. We are there with them in the doing of the work. It's like any war effort, isn't it? Yes, there are the soldiers in the front line, but there are also those who are in the background, you know, making the ammunition, or those in the background giving money for the work. You're in the same thing, you're in the team together. Well, Gaius has been doing that. That is how he walks in the truth as he supports those who would promote the truth. Gaius is walking in the truth. That he's a fellow worker for the truth as we all ought to be. The second half of this little letter speaks about who is actually no joy. A guy called Diotrephes. If you run out of names for your children, don't pick this one, right? Diotrephes. Verse 9, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing, spreading malicious nonsense about us. See, John is not looking forward to this trip. He's not looking forward to actually going to this, going to be someone that's going to be no joy. And he's going to have this conversation, not only with uh, Diotrephes, but maybe even with the whole church, to actually say that Diotrephes is wrong. No joy it will be. He has to take Diotrephes to task, to sort out some mess. Well, what has Diotrephes done? He has rejected apostolic authority. You see, in verse 9, John had written to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, was promoting. Right? He loves to be first. And in his love for wanting to be first, he has rejected the apostles' teaching. Now, self-promotion is often denied, um, isn't it? Unfortunately, it's not just something in the non-Christian world, you know, politics and things like that. It comes into the church sometimes. I know some of the Chinese churches in Australia and the reason why there's so many Chinese churches there is because, not church plant, but because of church split. And they split because, well, sometimes it's doctrine, but usually it's just personality. It's just certain people wanting to be first, wanting their way, and then things split. Diotrephes is such a person, and in, he's such a person who does it in the face of the truth, against the truth. He's rejected even the apostles' authority. John's going to come and sort things out. But today, we don't have the apostle John being able to come and sort things out, do we? 
Where do we see the Apostle's authority today? Well, it's in what he has written, isn't it? The Apostles have written down their letters, their Gospels, and passed down to us. That is where the truth actually lies now. And so, here we have someone who's rejecting the Bible in the end. Rejecting what the Bible is saying and standing on his own authority and saying, look, you can't believe that Bible, you've got to believe me. That's what he's promoting. And in the midst of that, he's actually being very active. You see in verse 10, not satisfied with just saying malicious things against the apostles, against the Bible as it were, but he even refuses, verse 10, to welcome other believers. He's refusing to welcome those who will preach the truth. Welcome other believers who are the missionaries. And he stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church. So here's someone who doesn't want anyone who would stand up for God and his gospel. And anyone who does, anyone who welcomes the missionaries, he will expel them from the church. He will excommunicate them. He's someone who's just set against the truth. And all who would stand for the truth reject apostolic authority and reject fellowship with the truth, not welcoming the missionaries. No wonder he's no joy to the Apostle John. But look how John now summarises what this guy, Theotrephes, is doing. Verse 11. Dear friend, now, do not imitate what is evil, but imitate what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. That is, what Diotrephes is doing is actually evil. That's a very strong word, isn't it? Uh, today, we think of you know, evil as you know, the terrorists. They're, they're evil. But here is something just as evil as that. You see, what is more evil than the terrorists is when people bomb the ambulances that go and rescue the victims of the bombs, isn't it? When the terrorists not only bomb you know, any random place or some military or police installation, but when they wait to set a second bomb off at the hospital, that's really evil, isn't it? You see, the truth, the gospel, is that which comes out to save people, to rescue them from hell, to tell them about Jesus, that is the source, the only source of salvation. And this man, Diotrephes, is actually preventing the spread of that rescue mission. It is evil, then, to actually oppose the gospel of God. To do good is the very evidence of someone who has actually seen God. Of course, it's not the thing that saves you, but it's the evidence, isn't it? It's very clear that this man, Diotrephes, does not know the gospel, does not know the truth, for he's doing evil to do everything to stop the truth from being spread. Refusing fellowship with the truth. It is evil. It is not just versus good, 
It is versus God. Well, let's tie some of these uh, things together. Point four, gospel-shaped joy. It's a whole letter, I think, about joy. But not any joy, but joy that is shaped by the gospel. And the truth matters. Isn't it? It's come out throughout this letter. Truth actually matters. We don't just be loving, we've got to be loving according to the truth. And in fact, to spread error, to prevent the truth, is actually not loving, is it? And so to walk in love is to walk in the truth of the gospel. Not to be like Diotrephes who rejects the truth of the apostles. I think the way it's creeping into our evangelical churches today, especially, uh, I don't know much about Singapore, but especially in the UK and even in Australia, is the whole push for making women to be head pastors, women to be in authority over mixed over male-female congregations. Uh, we in Australia are feeling the push all the time, year after year. Uh, denominations are saying, you've got to allow us to have women pastors and women preachers. Is it a gospel issue? Well, look what the Apostle Paul says, come up on the screen, now in 1 Timothy chapter 2. It's very clear that a woman ought to learn quietly with submissiveness, uh, quietly doesn't mean they say nothing, but quietly means that they learn with submissiveness rather than teaching with authority over the men. But a lot of these uh, Christian churches would say, ah, no, that's just first century stuff. You know, that's just for that time and some of them even say, oh, that's the Apostle Paul. You know, he's a Pharisee, he's a woman hater. You know, we don't have to listen to the Apostle Paul. It's outdated. However, look at what Paul says in verse 13. Look at the reason he gives for why we should have uh, this sense of roles in the church and difference in roles. He says in verse 13, Adam was formed first, then Eve. It goes all the way back to creation, you see. That's how God made the world. And Adam was not the one deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. In, in other words, look what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when the woman actually was deceived by the serpent and then took the lead. Instead of God ruling mankind, you double-click mankind, you get man and woman, right? and then they uh, rule over the animals, now that the, the animal, the serpent, deceives the woman who then leads the man and together they all reject God. That is what Paul is looking back to. It's, it's, a, it's a creation and, and our very fall, our very rejection of God was the, was the time when the Adam, the man, would not take up his responsibility. He'd rather follow Eve's lead. What Adam should have said was, no, I'm not going to eat that fruit. You know, spit it out. You know, do Heimlich manoeuvre. You know, make her spit it out. But no, he, he follows her. In other words, it is a, 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 a sin that's built into the very of mankind. It's not just a first century thing. It's not just poor the apostle being a, you know, a woman hater or anything like that. It's in the very being of our, our creation and our fall. And 
And friends, we still live in this creation, don't we? We still live in the fallen world. Is it a gospel issue? Well, it sounds like at least it's a very much tied into a, a creation issue and it's a very much the very essence of what, what sin is. But also look at 1 Corinthians chapter 14 come up on the screen. Is it just certain churches that Paul's writing to? No. Verse 33, he says, As in all the churches of the Christians of the saints, women should keep silent in churches, they're not permitted to speak, but to be in submission, as the law says, etc. There's roles, right? But look at what he says in verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Are you the source? Can you decide what, what the word of God should say? Or are you the only ones that the word of God has reached? You know? Are you in a position to make up your own mind and do whatever you want? No. As in all the churches, this is the way you should do it. And then look at what Paul says, verse 37. If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognise this, he is not recognised. That's very strong, isn't it? That what the apostles say is what Jesus says to the, all the churches and they are to listen. In Australia, in the UK, we've been feeling this pressure to have no difference between men and women and let, let, let's just ordain women to be head pastors and stuff like that. And you know what's happened? Once they allow that, then you give it another 10 years and they'll be ordaining homosexuals to be head pastors. It's the same logic. If there's no between men and women, well, why not man marry man and women marry women and why not have them as leading the church as well? It is hard to stand up against that force because it's, it's the nature of our society now, isn't it? And I hear that in Singapore, even in some denominations, there's a pressure to be ordaining women. It is malicious nonsense. It's nonsense in that it flies in the face of what the Bible is saying. It is malicious because in the end, people are saying, we know better than God. We are now modern. We are now those who can decide what is right and wrong. What does God know? What does the apostles know? We are to be those who stand up for the sake of the truth. Truth actually matters. I hear that um, you guys are doing well in that. I'm just trying to encourage you to keep standing up for the truth. Secondly, point 4b, gospel-shaped joy means that mission matters. To walk in the truth involves being partners of those who will go out for the sake of the name of Jesus supporting the missionaries. Um, don't just let the mission committee be those who are praying and writing and, and contacting the missionaries. As a whole congregation, as you know of people you're trying to support to Bible college or missionaries you're supporting overseas or be interested in them. Know them. Pray for them. As well as put your money in the support of them. Mission matters. It's not just them out there doing it. You are behind them in the doing of it. And why not do it ourselves? Uh, yeah, with our 
course mates, with our work mates, just to say, hey, look, you know, I'm, I'm a Christian. Uh, let them know that um, what you did on the weekend, you know, what did you do on the weekend? I saw X-Men, the movie. No, no, don't say that. You say, I actually went to church. I actually heard about the truth, you know, start conversation. There's this crazy man up the front actually said we shouldn't ordain women to, to churches. They'll start up a conversation, wouldn't it? Let people know you're a Christian. Act Christianly. Don't give in to the politics, the gossip. Don't give in to the dishonesty at work. Stand out. And then hopefully they'll ask you why you're different. Gospel-shaped joy means the truth matters, mission matters, and it is gospel-shaped joy. Is that because joy actually matters as well. It gives me great joy that uh, you guys are standing in the truth. Uh, like yesterday I was uh, talking to uh, one of our sisters, you know her, your deaconess, or just retired deaconess I heard, uh, Ko Shuan. And I was just having a chat to her and uh, she was talking about how um, she knows this guy called Dan Tan who's actually doing the MTS, the ministry trainee with us uh, over in Sydney. And Coach uh, and I said, you know Dan Tan, a big tall guy? Um, he was in my first Sunday school class. I said, oh, really? You know, when he was about eight years old. All oh, right. And, and Coach Khan said, you know, I remember him. I thought, oh, that's not good news, is it? Yes, I remember him. He was the boy who wouldn't listen to me. He would, you know, go to the back room and he'd turn his chair around and sit with his back to me all the time. Right? And, and I just couldn't get him to listen. And, and, and then once he was so proud, he came up to me and said, you know, do you know anything about the double helix? And Coach Khan says, yes, I do. And they start talking about double helix. And then he sort of would listen. Oh, this lady actually knows about, you know, science. And... <laughs> And then Coach Khan told me how, you know, she lost touch with him a little bit, uh, having taught him in Sunday school. And then the next time he, she saw him was, you know, at an MRT and um, he was about to go to NS and he was a big, tall, strong boy. And he just, the conversation, he was sort of drifting away from Christianity and about to go to some wild party and stuff like that. And, and then a couple of years later, she hears that, oh, he's actually more interested in God now and, and actually thinking about doing full-time ministry. And as I was talking to Coach Juan, I saw just that joy, isn't it? The seeds that she had sown way back then in Sunday school and now seeing one of his, her spiritual children growing in the Lord, walking in the Lord. I hope you would have that kind of joy as, as you lead people, as you lead a friend, as you read a Bible with a friend, as you Lead those in Sunday school, your children. What if one day your own child said to you, No, I want to go to Dubai, but not working with KPMG, but working with a mission. I'm going to go to Dubai, to that Arab sort of country, to speak the gospel. Would that give you joy? Uh, one of the things that has uh, given me the greatest joy this year is to hear something um, about uh, some friends of, of my son. Um, I haven't told many people this, but um, you know how I said my son was um, this last 
uh, six months. I've gone to compulsory boarding school at Sec 3. And um, it's a Presbyterian school, but um, before they go, you know, it's hard to know what these boys will get up to, you know, a hundred boys down there. And um, so the chaplain, the Presbyterian chaplain of the school, I was trying to prepare the boys uh, one by one to talk to them about how to stay Christian, you see. And uh, I heard from uh, the mother of Mike. Mike is one of um, uh, Jordan's classmates. And uh, apparently uh, the chaplain sat Mike down and said, you know, Mike, uh, the next six months you've got to, you've got to yeah, keep going as a Christian. Three things you've got to do to, to stay as a Christian. One, read the Bible. Two, pray. And three, he said, you know, when you're not quite sure what you're going to do, you know, you've got some choice, you don't know what, what to do, remember, WWJD. You know WWJD? Right? What would Jesus do? He said, Mike, remember, WWJD. What would Jordan do? <laughs> I tell you, that, that one little thing, you know, just gave me joy uh, this year. That that my son would actually be someone who would be someone that others might look to uh, to walk in the truth. Friends, is that what gives us joy? That our children are walking in the truth. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you for the joy it gives us to be saved, but also to know that we can have a little contribution to others as we tell them the gospel, that they too can be saved. Help us, Father, to be those who support the truth, who support the mission of that gospel truth going out and who find great joy in participating in that. Please, Father, help us to stand by what you say and to live by what you say. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.